Amen. So welcome again. Um, I wanted to say quickly that uh, we are gathered here and we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we come to pray together. Thank you, Sam, for leading us in that. We come to sing together. Thank you, Max and crew. Uh, we come to hear um, from the scriptures also, believing that uh, God speaks. And uh, sometimes I preach, sometimes Noah, Tyler, others preach. Um, our thought with uh, preaching through the scriptures um, is that we, we love to hear um, from folks here who are uh, embedded in our community. And so you don't, you don't have to have a PhD in preachology like Keevan. You don't have to, um, you know, be some slick multimedia presenter like me. You just, um, what you need um, is to have a, a heart that's um, following Jesus and open ears and open eyes and a lot of love for um, the people here and beyond. Um, and uh, you, you need to be um, searching for God and resting in God. Um, doing that um, through the scriptures with others. Um, and so this morning, uh, we have uh, the great privilege of hearing from uh, one in our midst um, who does that. Um, if you're around Amara ever, um, you know she's there at uh, morning prayer. She's, she's there um, everywhere with her eyes and her ears open. Um, and she's been digging into the Gospel of John and um, comes uh, to bring us word. So would you please welcome her this morning? Hey guys. <laughs> okay, I don't have a picture of my family today because you got one last semester. So <laughs> I'm gonna walk you through some of my questions and kind of my test story money 2.0. So one of a toddler's favorite words is why. Why is this mic falling? Why is the sky blue? Why are you leaving? Why do we have to go to church? Why did God create mosquitoes? They try to understand the world and the people around them by asking questions. Hopefully, you were lucky enough not to ask Keevan your questions, otherwise you'd be told to stop asking questions. <laughs> I find kids' curiosity around the world around them to reveal their innocence. And it can be very charming and even comical at times. Questions help guide a child to understanding and help them to relate to the world around them. When a lot of people grow up, the world has a way of doling their curiosity. I grew up in the church and was pretty familiar with Bible stories. The peculiarity or scandalous nature of the Bible was not something that I was aware of. Yeah, a serpent talked in Genesis. Some dude was swallowed by a big old fish. God came to earth and loved people. Yeah, there was a little dude who climbed in a tree to see Jesus, and some dude was raised from the dead. And then they murdered Jesus. Yeah, so what? My mom and grandma were Christians, and when I had questions about my faith, they gave me simple answers that didn't quench my curiosity. My youth pastors had a black and white answer, and any uncertainty was to be filled with the whole Christianity thing didn't make very much sense to me, and I became bored and numb to God. And when I went to college and was able to make my own decisions, I was pretty sure I was going to ditch the whole God thing. But when I came to Truman, I fell into CCF and was going to services with my roommate. CCF was different than the church that I grew up with. I was intrigued and drawn into the body. Why were people so passionate about God? This doesn't seem like the God I became bored of. 
I was in awe of the beauty of the community and decided to lean in a little closer. I was shocked at the different questions that people were raised, questions that I didn't even know existed. You're saying that the seven days of creation might not have been literal? Wait, how is the gospel scandalous? Jesus was controversial. I thought everybody loved the dude. I heard Derek and Reed constantly preach on the importance of Sabbath and rest and how we should not be a slave to our schoolwork. Typical Truman students, they called it. Yeah, whatever crazy dude with the red beard and screaming dude with the earring. Please stop throwing pens at me. I have to get my paper done. And no, I can't wait till tomorrow. And no, I can't take an hour off. CCF poked a bunch of holes in my understanding of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Bible, and my faith. The Bible seemed to become more, for, more and more foreign, and I began to question many of my assumptions. CCF taught me to read the scriptures more closely and to not be afraid to interrogate the text, to tear it apart, and to question the obscurity of it. I started to wrestle, read the Bible, engage in more conversations about God. CCF shook me awake and helped me approach the scriptures with a truly childlike faith, not one that blindly accepts whatever is told, but one that is constantly asking, why? Trying to take a more questioning spirit while reading the Bible has helped me more deeply understand God's character. So when I was assigned the Gospel of John, I tried to take this approach, questioning everything and seeking for a deeper understanding. Throughout John, I picked up on his very strong themes of love and unity, as well as Jesus's humanity and the divine nature of God. At one point in my preparation, I started to read just a chapter a day. I was confused why God would subject himself to such a death and why he would want to be human. Why does God love me? I became overwhelmed by God's love for me when I was reading John 17 which is a prayer that Jesus prayed before he was betrayed. Sure, I know, I know. It's a simple truth, one that is said over and over. God loves you, and God loves me. So much, in fact, that he sent his only begotten son to die for me. Kind of weird that he'd kill his own son, but never mind that. But this son, Jesus, was fully human and fully God. And for some reason, this paradox and truth sunk into my heart that day. John records Jesus' prayer in chapter 17 in his last moments on earth. I'm going to read part of John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given to. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. And they may be perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. God loved us and became a human. In his last moments of human life, he prayed for me and he prayed for you and for all the future believers. Jesus wanted us to have eternal life, to be one with God. In verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Why would Jesus not just ask for us to be with him? I think God missed a little detail here that's easily solvable. God has the power to bring us to him so that we can be one with him in his glory right now. But here we are on earth, separated from God, subject to the toil and pain of life. We are filled with an eternal longing to be with our God who placed us on earth seemingly far from us. Nevertheless, Jesus came to earth, and moments before he was betrayed, during his prayer, he seems to be reorienting himself towards the Father and reminding himself of the glory that he would soon feel instead of the betrayal that he would soon face. Find the longing to be with God becomes especially strong when I'm faced with pain and difficulty. This week, my great uncle passed away. I've never felt so far from my family as I have this week. I wanted to wrap my cousin in a hug, and I wanted to cry with my grandma. But instead, I was forced to mourn on my own and comfort those I love through phone calls. The question of why is it better to be here on earth deeply troubles my soul. Jesus, why is it better for me to be here on earth? If you truly loved me and you want to be with me, then why am I here crying by myself? Time on earth seems rather unnecessary, and as I wrestle with this question and the meaning of life, I find myself thinking about Advent, a time of preparation and anticipation for the coming Christ. Even though Christ has already come, some Christians pause each year and sit in anticipation for the coming Messiah. Eugene Peterson said, waiting does not diminish us, any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We of course don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. I think Eugene is trying to reveal the value of waiting of having to live life on earth, separated and yearning for God. Paul in Philippians faces this tension of wanting to be with God, yet he agrees with Jesus that life on earth is more necessary. In Philippians 1.23, Paul was sitting in prison when he wrote, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
to remain in the flesh is more necessary. As I started to see the importance of waiting and the separation from God, I moved on to the next question. My questions branched and grew from the original why questions. Why are we on earth? Why must we endure this time of separation from God? Why are the glimpses of the kingdom so small and fleeting amidst the oppressive realities of the ways of this broken world? I then started to ask, what am I supposed to do with my life? Jesus says in John 17:3 that to have eternal life, we are to know God. But what does it mean to know God? As I dig deeper into the gospel for clues, John 13, 34 sticks out to me. Jesus gives the disciples a new commandment, that they loved one another just as I have loved you. In addition to having Jesus' love, in John 17, 23, Jesus calls us to become perfectly one. Dang. To love like Jesus and to be perfectly one are two very large asks. But I think in living these two things out, we might be able to know God. I wish Jesus would have stopped at the love one another part because then the definition of love would have been up to our interpretation. But instead, this man says that we need to love just as he has loved. And all throughout the Gospels, we see that to love as Jesus has loved means to humble yourself. Love everyone, yes, even your enemies. Serve one another. Lift up those around you. Have eyes attentive enough to see the ones struggling around you. To love as Jesus has loved is a crucifixion of the flesh. It is a die to our desires that way we may become love. To love as Jesus has loved is not a call to an isolated life either. Jesus' prayer was that we may be perfectly one, learning, growing, searching, living in the tension of wanting to be with God and being the hands and feet of Jesus on earth so that others may know and experience his love. What love looks like was not left to our desires or subject to the change emotions that we have. We do not get to decide who deserves or receives this love. Our God is a God who is with us, who calls us to unity, and challenges us to love as he has loved. Our God is a God who humbled himself and became a vulnerable human. A God who chose to be lowly, to be weak, to be powerless, so that we might know his love. God allowed himself to be edged out of this world and onto the cross. Our God is not a God that can be understood by human reason alone. God also, unfortunately, is not sitting on the street corners giving bits of truth away for free. Instead, God opens up a space for us to ponder. He begs us to ask questions, to wrestle with him, to dig deeper, and to draw into our mysterious creator.
and to do this together as a unified body here on earth. But one thing to remember is that the search in life for God is not merely an intellectual invitation, but an experimental, experiential invitation. We are invited to an alternative way of living, one where pain and death do not rule over us or control us. Despite the mystery of God, I know one thing for sure, that God loves us and has given us a beautiful gift, the gift of life. Our lives are given to us so that we may be able to experience God, that we may grow in, in anticipation, that we may share his love with others, and that we may seek him with our whole hearts, and that we may be perfectly one. We rest because we know our joy will be full and that our God, in all his mystery, loves us. Because of this promise and alternative way of living, I am able to forgive those around me when I am hurt. I am also able to be forgiven when I hurt others. For a while, I carried an anger and bitterness towards my home church for the dual image of God I was given. I still find myself slipping back into this coldness, but I remind myself that Jesus calls our body to be one, and so I crucify my flesh, my ego, and forgive as he has forgiven. I'm gonna close your eyes and I'm gonna reread parts of John 17 to close us. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, I pray that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen.